Okay, I'm recording. I'm recording. We'll clap in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the end. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that one just like died in my, in my lungs. Jules, keep that in. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, Google had a very very busy week. It has launched the final software update for its Pixel phones of 2023, and its long-awaited Gemini LLM has been unveiled, despite rumors to the contrary, and it is now powering Bard and a few features within the Pixel 8 Pro and Pixel 8, I guess. And we'll talk about all of that. Uh, and then GTA 6. Everybody talked about watch GTA 6's first trailer this week. It is, I don't know, every Florida man meme known, yeah. you know, in history is in this trailer. If the graphics are accurate, if it's in-game rendering, it will be quite a beautiful game in which to kill a bunch of people and steal their cars. But uh, we'll have to wait until 2025 for that. So, Will, lots of stuff to talk about this week. First, though, how's it going? It's going good. It has been like a weirdly busy week for December. Like it, it feels like things are both slowing down and yet like we're getting that last hit of like breaking news with especially with I mean, we knew the feature drop was coming. We didn't know Gemini was coming. I think that was the big unexpected launch. So, yeah, I don't, it's, it's been a busy week, but also it's, it's starting to feel like the holidays. There's like actually snow on the ground in Buffalo right now. Um, yeah, I woke is, up to snow today as yeah, well. Yeah, it's it's trying to melt because it's it's warming up a little bit. But yeah, I saw I saw I saw a snowplow salt my road. So we're here. It's it's time. Well, I'm glad that Buffalo has at least one snowplow. I live technically in a suburb where we actually get uh, salted. Our roads get plowed and salted. If you if you go literally a mile north of where I live, you enter or sorry, south of where I live, you you enter buffalo territory and the roads are noticeably worse uh, yeah um i'm sorry about that it is what but, it is uh infrastructure it's the best topic to talk about on the radio <laughs> yeah, that's our all new, right that's uh let's podcast. dive in so is it infrastructure <laughs> infrastructure week infrastructure week infrastructure week infrastructure week so i know people like to joke it's infrastructure week again the pixel got its final update of the year this is android 14 qpr1 also known as the december feature drop also known as the introduction of gemini also known as the i guess trickle of new ai features that were teased at the october launch are finally getting released. I, I I think it makes sense in retrospect that Google needed to wait until its new LLM was widely available before things like Video Boost, which is powered by obviously a very powerful multimodal LLM to actually do the work. So yeah, I mean, this is all kind of coming together, although it's interesting that it happened on December 6th, which as you said, is like the very last moment that Google could have announced this. Yeah. And yeah. there was also a rumor that it wouldn't have been, it wasn't going to be announced until January. So not sure what happened there. But first impressions of the feature drop, before we get into Gemini itself, like just this seems to be a fairly sizable update for the Pixel. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. I wish there was maybe a little like 
unexpected. This is basically Google making good on its promises, like you said, instead of like some other feature drops, like potentially marches will have stuff that we didn't really see coming. Like that's kind of what makes a feature drop so exciting. And this is more like, remember Video Boost? We showed it to you in October. It's available now if you bought a Pixel 8 Pro, which is cool for current and new Pixel 8 Pro owners, but it does make it a little bit more of a yeah, about time kind of update than a, than a wow, I'm so excited for this update. Same with like contextual replies and call screen. It's all stuff that we knew was coming, but that is finally here. The Pixel Fold is getting a dual screen preview for taking photos and you have to dive into, I think, dev settings to do it, but you can finally expand apps to not create black bars in the left and right of the screen, which should have been there at launch. You know, it's a nice update, but I don't know, relatively minor as far as feature drops go. Right. So I think then the big things are the Gemini-powered Yes, that was the surprise, well. I would say, which Gemini itself is, I think, like a big announcement. There's Gemini, which we can talk about in broader detail, but then there's Gemini Nano, which is the Pixel 8 Pro on-device tool that is starting off pretty slow with just two features. The features are Smart Reply for Gboard in WhatsApp specifically that will auto-generate better responses to conversations. I'm really curious to try this because the example they used, and I should say it's been 24 hours. I still don't have Gemini on my phone despite updating. I have it turned on in developer settings. This seems to be a common thing, talking to both Manuel and, and people at other sites that no one has really had access to it. Google's own documentation says like, it might take a couple days for your phone to download Gemini. Try plugging it in overnight to speed up the process, uh, which, sure. I love that it's just like an update. Like you just yeah. update your phone with a massively powerful on-device yeah. LLM. Well, and that's why I think I almost am more interested in Gemini Nano than Gemini as a whole, even though it's starting so slow, because I'm curious where this goes in the future. But let me start with the more basic one, actually. It's summarizing the recorder app, which we knew was coming. I don't think we knew Gemini was powering it, but it is. That was announced on stage at the Pixel 8 announcement. It, it does help explain a little bit more why they were limiting summarize to the Pixel 8 Pro, because the Pixel 8 does not have Gemini Nano on it right now. I assume it will get it eventually, but uh, this is another one of those things that they're, I think, trying to push people towards the more expensive phone for. And then, as I was saying, smart reply for WhatsApp. The example they use is the ability to automatically say, like, I haven't heard back from the person you're talking about, which is like a really interesting way to like, it's, it's crazy that it like knows to say like, not yet, but I'll keep you posted in response to, did you hear anything back from her? I'm mostly curious if it will constantly get this wrong where you will actually have heard back from your friend, but it's going to suggest that you haven't. Again, I won't know until it gets on my phone. And also, it's limited to WhatsApp. And as we'll talk about later in the show, WhatsApp is kind of a non-factor in the US. So it's not a feature that would really benefit my life currently. But obviously, they're starting really slow on this. So it'll probably come to more apps, more, you know, I'd love it doesn't even need to be in Google messages necessarily I'd love to just see it in like messenger or telegram like I pretty much use every other messaging app than whatsapp so I'd love to see it elsewhere but yeah I mean it'll definitely come it's probably just that they used that particular app as a test bed for the new feature and yeah it'll become more broadly available as gboard gets updated 
So Google announced Gemini at Google I.O. in May. And this yeah. was at the end of the presentation where they introduced Palm 2. So Palm 2, also a powerful LLM that until yesterday powered Bard and a lot of other Google products that integrated AI. They tease Gemini as a multimodal LLM. So it's not just trained on text, but on images and video. And they have these incredibly, I would say, audacious demos that you can go to YouTube and watch where like a version of whatever is powering Gemini is like giving real-time answers to what it's seeing on the screen. It's very impressive, but it's not something we haven't seen before, right? GPT-4 demoed very similar capabilities during its dev days before the uh, meltdown of, uh, was that only like two weeks ago? It feels like it was a year ago already. Yeah, it was It was near Thanksgiving, right? Am I making that up? It was, maybe it was it, the week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's, and it was, oh yes, that's right. It was, it was the week before, Friday before Thanksgiving, and it was all wrapped up by the night before Thanksgiving, which is, that's so right. five days, yeah. crazy. That's, that's, that's very funny. But Google was expected to announce Gemini at some point. The information said that the company was planning an in-person event yeah. in December that was delayed until January. All of a sudden, they launched this three days later or four days later. Without an in-person event, I think Google is being very cautious about this, right? They want the rollout to be as controlled as possible. Yeah. So they're just updating Bard with Gemini Pro, which is the not too hot, not too cold version of the LLM. There's gonna be a much more powerful version released next year at some point that will power enterprise customers, experiences, and, and things like that will require more, more processing. And then Nano is obviously the on-device local itty-bitty one that the Pixel 8 Pro has. They are being so careful about this, right? I think if Google had its way and GPT, ChatGPT didn't launch in late 2022, this is what the company would have launched Bard with, right? Yeah. They would have waited because I think Gemini, the multimodal experience, was the thing that they wanted to get to because if anybody recalls earlier this year when Bard launched, it was not a good product. Was Bard the launch they had in Paris? The launch event they had in Paris? I'm trying to, or, or no, that was Maps, right? Google's had a lot of bad know. launches this year. I, I mean, it's funny because we, you know, talking about no, Maps. No, no, it was, just, it was Bard. It was, it was Bard. I'm, I'm right. Google's holding a brief 45 minute event in Paris on February 8th to go over its plans for integrating AI into search and maps. Do you remember that event? It like no. went offline halfway through and was like completely like, Oh man, we got. I gotta revisit that for some kind of end of year post because it was truly one of like the biggest like embarrassments Google's had in years. It was. It was not good. But anyway, yeah, Bard was absolutely rushed out. I would say, like, I do not think that they had any interest in putting it out when they did, and and they're catching up now. But yeah, I agree that like this is probably when they actually wanted to do all this, and instead like really had to move all their plans up. It's still kind of bizarre to me how Google is going about this because ChatGPT is a product, right? It's a product that people like to use. It's a web destination. It's a standalone app. They just integrated voice into it. A lot of people are replacing search to some extent because GPT-4 Turbo is up to date through March, 2023. So 
the actual data set that's available for searches is much more accurate or much more modern. So people can use it for search more than they could for GPT-4 and, 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 and earlier versions. That said, Gemini is more modern than the GPT-4 database and Google has its entire search product to augment things that Gemini doesn't know. Yeah. So in theory, this could be better. And Google puts out all these benchmarks, all these comparisons to GPT-4 saying that it performs better in 80% of the tests than in all these different ways. A lot of reporting has been done about this to say that like Google's probably being a bit hyperbolic here, but at the same time, this is still a far better and more robust product than what was powering Bard previously. What's unclear to me though is the gen search feature that some people have access to, has that also been switched over to Gemini? Is that still being powered by Palm? Because Google didn't really say anything about, aside from Bard, which is using Gemini, are other features still being run by Palm too, like the self-contained AI experiences, or has everything sort of been swapped to, to be powered by Gemini? I don't know. I feel like, I'm trying to find it. Okay, here's the blog. It's post. very unclear, right? It's also not clear whether Gemini built on top of Palm 2, yeah. or if it's a completely new data set that was trained like, from a different team, because if you recall earlier this year, DeepMind was integrated into Google's like AI division within the company. So I think this is also a consolidation of all of its efforts. And as a result, like we'll see probably a more uniform set of products being built on top of Gemini going forward because there aren't two teams independently building LLMs. So I have the list here. So Gemini Pro is in Bard. Bard is using a fine-tuned version of Gemini Pro. It's in Pixel with Gemini Nano. In the coming months, it's coming to Search, Ads, Chrome, and Duet. And they're experimenting with Gemini and Search with SGE. But then there's also Ultra, which will be available to select customers sometime next year. Uh, or I'm sorry, early experimentation rolling out to more customers and developers early next year. And then there's Bard Advanced coming next year which will use Gemini Ultra, which yeah. is a little confused. Like, like as much as it, it is consolidation, it's also still confusing. Like, it is tough to keep track of this stuff. Am I, am I wrong? Like, I, I don't know. May, maybe you're more dialed into it than I am, but I, I have, like, Google has, has tried to hit AI so hard this year that I genuinely have a hard time keeping track of everything they're doing in this space. Yeah, I mean, Google doesn't want to kill the golden goose, right? It doesn't want to kill its ads business. So everything Google launches in the AI space has to be taken from the context of how does it prepare its user base, its client, its, its, its paying customers for the next 10, 20 years of the internet without like actually losing the core business that it spent the last 25 years building. And I think that is not an easy place to be, right? Sundar Pichai has a very hard job and this is especially true because the company's talked about its AI ambitions since like 2018, right? This is absolutely not new. We started hearing about this at Google I.O. five years ago when it was very, very amorphous, right? It was the same thing with 5G, right? I hosted a 5G panel. And funny, like completely side point, like Huawei, 
hosted a 5G panel in 2013 in Ottawa, which was sponsored by the Canadian government. Because as we know, Huawei spent millions of dollars at Canadian universities prior to being banned from the US and that whole story as we know how that ended. But back when the 5G spec was not even finalized, they hosted a panel in 2013. And the things that people talked about 5G doing was the equivalent of like aliens touching down on planet Earth and providing us <laughs> their technology from yeah. like the distant future. You know, it's like District 9. Like we just got a hold of all of these advanced weapons and we're like, oh my God, it's going to change our lives. Obviously, that didn't happen. Well, and this is as good a time. It's not that this is. I don't know if you read it. I don't know if you had time this morning, but Allison Johnson at The Verge has a piece up about the race to 5G being over and how it was essentially an expensive failure. And, and the only thing it provided was exactly what you would have guessed, which was faster data speeds, right? When yeah. you're not at home, which, you know, is great, but like certainly not for the price that that especially Verizon, but all three national U.S. carriers paid. It's a really good piece. It's one of those pieces that when you read it, you're like, I'm jealous I didn't write this. So like if you're speaking of that, it was it's it's been on my mind this morning because yeah, like I I mean I mean we talked a little bit about it, but like 5G, I, I brought this up with Chris Patrick when I interviewed him at Snapdragon Summit, but like 5G was barely talked about there. Like it is one of those things that I think a lot of companies in the industry want to just kind of quietly pretend they never were talking about in the way they that you described, which is district nine levels of like look at the technology we found like it's just what what are you talking like 5g it's just it's fast there you have it on your phone go use right. it it's fast ai though ai like we're we're fo we're we're done with 5g we're focused on ai and i don't know it's not Foxconn like i had the right idea after yeah. all <laughs> the oh my god uh 8k ai 5G, 5g ai yeah, or whatever. whatever yeah i i i'm not Trying to say that, like, I think AI is overpromising in the same way that 5G was overpromised in other, certainly other buzzwords, like anything with crypto effectively. But it is difficult to kind of tell what will stick versus what won't stick, right? And what will come out of. We're in a very, like, vague part of the AI development time frame where it's like it's rapid development, but not really towards a ton of consumer level products and like even reading through like google's blog posts like a lot of this is focused on like selling it to enterprise users more than directly to consumers and the stuff that is coming directly to consumers like gemini nano is really limited to a couple of things as they slowly build it out i'm not saying it's not cool i'm not saying that ai is not here to stay i just think that it's it's in a really interesting place right now where like pretty much anything could happen like i genuinely don't know where all of this stuff is in five years i don't know if anyone really knows where it is i think some people might think they know exactly where it is but like it feels very unpredictable to me yeah i think meta with the metaverse is a really good example sure. of that yeah. where the company tried to pivot in a direction that would set itself up for the next 10 20 years of its and it did business and Perfectly it did successfully <laughs> well, it did. And then it realized that shareholders hate that, hate massive overnight changes, and very much went back to leaning on its core business for its messaging while quietly doing the hard work of building whatever the metaverse is going to become. And I think that is the right move here. 
when you have a company like OpenAI, which has a single mandate, right? It's a single mandate. It, I mean, it, we know that the corporate structure is messed up, but now that Sam Altman basically owns the board, he is now in control of what happens to OpenAI. I think it's very clear what happened between the board and Altman and his lieutenants was he wants to commercialize OpenAI and sell a product, and they want to be very cautious about whatever the product GPT ends up being. And positioning OpenAI as more of a research company. And like, I think Altman is laying the tracks for every other company in this space, right? Microsoft is obviously in bed with OpenAI. Google has its own thing. NVIDIA has a vested interest. Intel, AMD, all of these massive technology companies have a vested interest in the success of AI. But there's, Google is in this really weird, unique position where it's bet the farm internally on AI. It's vertically integrated, for lack of a better term, unlike Microsoft, which has obviously is doing a lot of AI research, but is leveraging OpenAI's infrastructure for most of the backend stuff and is then using that to productize its endeavors and like charging $30 a month per user, which is insane if you think about the cost of this, right? I mean, just going back to the benchmarks that Google released for Gemini Ultra and some of the critiques leveled against it already in that this is Google's brand new LLM that's not even gonna be available for another X number of months. And it's not even good enough to beat GPT-4 Turbo in most situations. And by the time it's available, Will there be a GPT 4.5 turbo or a GPT 4.5 that like can outpay? Like this is, this is what it means by buying into the hype and why Google I think is making, trying not, like the reason it didn't hold an in-person event is because I think part of the company wants this news cycle to die very quickly so that it can get back to work on building out whatever comes after Gemini Ultra because it's not there yet. And I think going back to what you were talking about, how you're more excited to play with Nano because it actually enables meaningful feature improvements on a product that we have in our pocket every day, right. rather than you going to bard.google.com. Yeah, which I never do. I'm to gonna be honest with you. I forget which, like, all <laughs> you, the time. You and every other person in the yeah. world has never done. Uh, I think that's really important, right? Because they know that despite Gemini Pro powering Bard, most people will never actually use it because they go to ChatGPT, they go to OpenAI, they use whatever thing Microsoft integrated. What's it called? Um, You're not talking it's about it's like Clippy, Clippy Two, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, it's uh, Copilot. Copilot. Thank you. Oh my god! It's like escaped my <laughs> mind. It's like such a bad name. It is a bad name. But to your point, like what you were talking about a few minutes ago, like as much as we just forgot the name Copilot, and I had to Google it. I had to type in Bing with AI for the Wikipedia page to come up. <laughs> Did Google's generative AI? Uh, yeah, exactly. Google like, was like, Idiot. Uh, uh, we don't want to tell you this, but you're looking for the word co-pilot. And I was like, right, right. I don't really use any of Microsoft's AI tools either, because as you said, it's like $30 a user for some of them. But like, I do have a better time keeping track of them than I do with Google's because like, they are available to people and they're built into apps that people use. 
And that's not really true with Google's right now, like except for a couple of these things on the Pixel and Bard, if you're going to do that, SGE, if you're going to do that. But honestly, like I don't really use SGE either because I find it not very useful. Like it often gets things wrong, like still in my experience, like that might get better now, but I still don't find it as, and I know I've said this in the show like six months ago, but it's still true. I still don't find it as useful as typing the word Reddit after things even after everything Reddit went through this year. It's just, it's... Because humans are generally better than computers at yeah. at least trying to convey correct information. Yeah. I mean, people lie, obviously, but at least there's a call and response. There's, a, there's, there's like a responsibility. You can train computers on a set of data, but you can also tell somebody that they're lying and they may disagree with you or they may have, you know, maybe subjective or whatever but at the end of the day everything google tells us about search is that it's rewarding effort it's rewarding accuracy it's rewarding showing your work right as publishers since ai started infiltrating search results and muddying so much of what we think of as web content all google has said over and over and over again even as it's rolled out sge is that you need to tell your people, the people producing the work, that their authority, their experience, their expertise is the most important signal that we can get. Well, right? yeah, it wants uh, to make sure its content is really good for SGE to uh, organize into a way for you to not click this link. Right. I I mean, I'm laughing, but like, I I kind of that's kind of true, right? Like. SGE's whole thing is to try to get you the information you want as quickly as possible. And you can click through those source links, but if you have your answer on the Google results page, why would you? Like, it's right. It doesn't matter if it's essentially a copied and pasted sentence that anyone at Android Police wrote or anyone at any other website wrote. Like, if the answer's right there, there's no reason for you to really click through unless you really need more information about it. But even then, you might just type more queries into into SGE or turn to Bard, I guess. But yeah, it's, it is frustrating as, as someone who is producing this content because I am well aware of how much work, and it's not work I wouldn't do anyway, but I am well aware of how much work Google is looking for to rank the stuff I make and the stuff that everyone at AP makes high on search results, which of course uh, keeps me employed. But at the same time, like I've, I've seen evidence that they've taken my stuff. And so like it is personally frustrating in a way that i know it's not going to feel to to everyone who just regular people who don't write on the internet for a living but every time i search for something that i'm not an expert in like we were i was looking for a like an air mattress for my daughter we're going away and we need to bring it with us and you know if i search for like best android phone obviously ap's at the top but like i know the other brands I know the other I know the other websites. Right. I'm familiar, right. right? I'm I've done my own work there. But if I search for best air mattress, yeah. I only know a handful of the sites that are at the top of the list. I ran into exactly this last night when I was looking for an electric blanket for my sister for Christmas. Uh right. I was like, I know wire cutter, I know the spruce. That's it. I don't know any of these other sites. I have no idea if they're trustworthy or not. And so I ended up I, I turned to Reddit for a bit. I I I essentially just ended up reading enough Amazon reviews that I found one I liked. But, but that's the um, thing. That's like that. That's what's yeah. so interesting to me is that 
we'd rather imbibe user-generated content than trust the brands that Google ranks at the top of its search results because we can't trust the brands themselves. Well, can I be honest? I sometimes don't know if people are using the products or not is my problem. Like, I can't tell if these buyer's guides built on experience, which, like, is why I usually look to Wirecutter, even if, you know, sometimes I disagree with their pick. But, like, at least I know that they've used those. I can I can pretty much trust they've used those products. But That's not true wh- for I, every site. Sometimes it's just consolidated from Amazon reviews. And I'm like, well, I'll just go read the Amazon reviews. But that's what I'm saying. You can't trust Amazon reviews either. You can't trust... Re- I mean, 100%. you don't know, like, CPH1248 on Reddit. Like, he may have a effusive take on an electric blanket. But, like, you don't know anything about this person. I, no, I agree. And, and it gets worse when you consider that sometimes those reviews are fake. The product page used to be something else, something different, and they've changed the product. And, and maybe they've changed it just enough that it's a, you know, it's, it's this charger instead of this charger, but you don't know that. And, and you have to pay attention to that stuff. And yeah, it's really frustrating as, as someone who buys things on the internet relatively regularly to try to determine what is and isn't a good product, essentially. And, and especially with something like, like an air mattress or an electric blanket, both of which can fail very easy, I guess, right? Like both of those product categories have like reputations of, in the air mattresses case, like deflating quickly after buying it. In the electric blankets case, like shorting out or stopping working after a few months like that. Like it's tough to like look for reviews of that stuff. And yet you and I are both like, I don't know if I can trust these like buyer's guides that Google's recommending. But the the reason I bring this up is that SGE, in theory, can solve this problem, except that we don't trust the data, the results coming out of these massive LLMs yet. So the few takes on the updates to BARD and the updates to GPT that I have read of people comparing the results, both of them are still quite incorrect most of the time. They're getting better. And if you ask them broad questions, they are right more often than they're not. But if you ask Bard today, like, what's the best electric blanket? I guarantee you the results are going to be underwhelming. I and just did. And it, they are. I would say they are. I don't even, I, none of the ones it's recommending to me actually didn't even come up in the other. There's no, oh my God, what's the, what's the main electric blanket brand that I now can't remember? Uh, sun, there's no Sunbeam suggestions. In, in the, right. Oh, there's one. Everybody Sorry, loves a Sunbeam. Like eighth, which is weird because like the wire, like wire cutters recommendations are both Sunbeam. Like those were the highest rated ones on Amazon. Like it's like, I have a Sunbeam blanket that I've had for years that still works. You'd think that would be fairly high up, but it's, yeah, it's, it's eighth and it's linking to an eBay reseller for some reason. Like I, it's, this is terrible, like what I'm looking at right now. And it's honestly pulling, like the sources it's showing me are even from like best blankets of 2023, like which is not what I'm looking for. Blanket buying guide is the top one, which is not an electric blanket. Those are different things. This also is not good, probably because it's recycling content from the buyer's guides that we already said we don't know if we can trust. And it's obfuscating that information on, uh, with an additional layer on top of it. Yep, agreed. It's all messy. And I think that's the takeaway from this entire conversation is that Google is clearly making strides. Gemini is clearly an improvement over Palm 2, which was clearly an improvement over Palm, but it's not a silver bullet. It's not even available in 
a lot of countries yet. It's not even available in Europe or Canada, right? Like these are major holes that Google needs to fill first. And I can't even get onto GPT-4 because ever since the OpenAI debacle, they put everybody upgrade who wants to upgrade on a freaking wait list because demand is so high. This is a nascent industry that has years still to play out. And I, on the one hand, am getting sucked into the hype because I like talking about something that will meaningfully change our lives. And on the other hand, I can't help but think that it's been over a year since ChatGPT launched. And I feel like most people, the people that think this is going to be the most impactful are the ones selling snake this, oil on Twitter. Yes. Just like 100%. it was during the crypto period. And the metaverse Just like period, it was. All that stuff. Like, exactly. 100%. And like, I have to be careful when I talk about this because like, at my core, I do think AI is an actual thing that will make products better compared to the metaverse, which I maintain is a solution in search of a problem and crypto, which is uh, not a solution in search of a, not a problem. I, 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 I don't even know what to talk about with crypto. It is frustrating because it, it is all the same people effectively who have pivoted to AI and they're primarily doing it to be like, look how you can get rich so quick just by scamming Google. And like that seems to be like a lot of the Twitter activity about AI right now that isn't, you know, looking 10 years down the road. And I'm not saying that future that people see 10 years down the road is not real. I'm not saying that AI will radically change how many jobs function, essentially, right? Like industries function. But at the same time, it is so, as I said before, it's so up in the air, like, it is so difficult to try to make predictions about this stuff with any sense of confidence in the people who are making it. I don't think I trust. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in that. It doesn't sound like I am, but uh, no, no, no. I don't think, I don't think you are. I think, yeah, it's not even that I don't trust the companies. No, it's not a company's thing. It's more of an individual thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't, I, don't I mean, there's just anybody... lots of noise about it and it's like, it's, it's, you have to ignore all that to be like, okay, well, what are, what is, Google talking about what is Microsoft talking about? What is OpenAI talking about? And even then, we watched Google. How many times, how many big AI announcements have they had this year? Like they're going all in on this, but in a way that still to me says internally they're figuring this out one day at a time. I think the the most obvious example of that is the fact that the Pixel 8 Pro is the sole beneficiary. Yeah. Of, of Gemini Nano as of today. Yeah. And it, it really makes very little sense why the 8 Pro should be alone. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. We don't have to bring it back up, but there's no difference in the computing capabilities of the Pixel 8 versus the 8 Pro. No. And maybe you could make the argument that like it's a smaller phone, so it has l more limited thermals, but like, no, that's not it. I don't think that's it either. It's probably true that you could bring Nano to the, even the Pixel 7 and the Pixel 6 and it would run okay, maybe a little bit more slowly. But the fact that Google as a company seems to still be competing with itself, that this is, I'm sure the DeepMind team in charge of Gemini Nano would love more phones to be able to run this locally on day one than just the few hundred thousand people that own a Pixel 8 Pro. Or the Pixel marketing team would love to have more than just two small features to showcase its advantage 
over the competition. And there just seems to be this internal tension between all of these disparate divisions within Google of what ultimately AI means for their respective businesses. And that part is really unclear. And there's very little, as always, there's very little cohesion within those messages. And I think if you look at the blog, Google's blog today, like just go to blog.google and see what's there. It's very clear that like this is all Google cares about right now. It's it, literally, there is a video that says, welcome to the Gemini era. Like the Gemini era, like this, yeah. they didn't do this for Palm 2. <laughs> They're not like, welcome to the Palm 2 era. Like this is, this has been months or years in the making. And I, and I want to take it more seriously because of that, but I have, I'm having a really difficult time. So that's all, that's, that's what I'm, that's the only conclusion that I can come I'm, to. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. And I think. I mean, again, we've we've watched how fast this changed this year. So like a year from now, who knows where we are? Who knows what you and I are talking about when it comes to this stuff? But um, yeah, that is that is where I am now. All right. So let's move on. I mean, there's a few other small things in like the Google update world. There's some uh, Wear OS stuff. There's some Android TV stuff. There's some app stuff. It's It's just like a typical Android feature drop type of thing. Nothing really to talk about, I, I, I would say. The only thing that is kind of interesting, we've talked about this before, but you can now use your Pixel 6 or newer as a webcam uh, officially. You don't have to like hack the matrix to get it working. Uh, you can now use your Pixel watch to unlock your Pixel phone. Yeah, that feature took a year to roll out. It's, it's hard. I mean, I've, I've done this with my Apple watch and iPhone and it doesn't work yeah. every time. It's like notoriously unreliable. So I'm glad they waited if it if it does in fact work as we hope consistently, there's a new repair mode which I love. This is something that uh, Michelle Raman found out earlier this year. It's now official. You can put your phone into repair mode, which will silo your personal data and apps when you send in your Pixel for repair. It'll make it very difficult. And there have been, uh, I think, the CBC here in Canada did an investigative report on this exact thing where they installed hidden cameras inside phones that were sent into Apple and Samsung and you break I fix and a bunch of other repair places to see what the repair people were actually doing with the phones and many of them accessed personal data while they were doing the repairs I mean, so we've seen like people have had their explicit photos yes essentially held ransom like from people yes. who were repaired like that has happened multiple times. It is not an outlier story. Like that stuff is sca like this. Yeah, this feature has been, you know, it, it's, it's very welcome. I wish it had launched sooner, but it's, I'm glad it's here. I mean, I'd like it to be on all Android phones. I would love it to be like brought well, to AOSP so that it's just like a standard repair mode that every single Android phone has access to, but it, that's yeah. really unlikely to happen. It's a, that's a broader issue with Google's development of Android now currently. Yep. Like, like it's, they keep, so much for pixel to the point where sometimes it's it feels a little bit like the, the core experience like we're a couple of months away from the android 15 dev preview and and we will spend oh my god six months yeah that's insane february probably and uh, we we will spend you know six to eight months looking at dev previews and beta releases for android 15 and most of what we will see in those previews will actually be just for Pixel devices. But it like yeah. that's that's what those betas have become. 
But that's really funny because that's the opposite of the way it used to be. Exactly. So in some ways, it's good for Pixel owners because <laughs> you can now yeah. justify buying a Pixel over you know a Samsung or whatever. But like that is that is very very funny that the, the tides have turned in such a way. Uh, I will say that uh, before we move on, Video Boost and Night Sight for time lapse are now available. So they were announced during at least Pixel Boost on the Pixel 8 Pro and then uh, Night Sight for time lapse on Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro. They were announced at the launch event in October, promised for later this year. As of the QPR1 update, they are now available. I'd love to know what people think of Video Boost. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, I think I, I don't think it. you have either. I haven't had time. I mean, this only launched yesterday as we were recording. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's, this is, uh, Google, I gotta say, you picked a terrible time for me to want to go outside and start filming things. It is very cold out. So, well, you know, I'm sure your snow will be extra bright in HDR once you get Lovely. the results back. Love to see it. Okay. Uh, let's move on and talk about Beeper Mini. So, Give us the background on this because you have been in touch with Beeper, the company, about its iMessage relay system for a while. You've talked to Eric Mijakovsky, the CEO of Beeper, former CEO of Pebble. This came out of nowhere, seemingly. Not to say that, like, I mean, you and I knew it was coming in the sense that, like, they told you about Beeper Mini under embargo. You you got to do a, a briefing, but like, I didn't realize the extent to which this was a fully reverse engineered secure iMessage solution for Android until I read your article in the CMS and I was like, oh, okay, like this, this is a big deal. So walk us through exactly what was announced yesterday with Beeper Mini. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, I mean, you said it how I would have said it, which is they relied on a a, a very young security researcher. I, I, th I think he's in high school or like was in it high was 16 school years they, old. Yeah. He's very young who goes by JJ tech. I don't believe, uh, I, I believe they've said they don't want to share his, his identity, but he lives in the U S I, I think they said Pennsylvania. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, I mean, if you've used beeper before beeper, which is now called beeper cloud is a tool that works. How all of these iMessage on Android experiences have worked up to this week, which is there is a server farm of Mac minis that you log into. And when you send a message or you get a message, it is relayed through there. Beeper features like encryption. Like I, their app is open sourced. They've allowed people to actually use it. I would say, you know, it's been around for a, a couple of years now. I would say that like, obviously there, there are going to be security concerns about any app where you're logging into a computer remotely, but this is not a sunbird like beeper was never a sunbird situation like people have looked at it and been like it's as safe as this kind of situation is going to be you can again it's open source you can go look at the code for it but i would say that that said i just want to interject though yeah. because it was pretty hard to get into beeper yeah for that reason right like it it required a virtual machine on a mac in a server farm it was relatively expensive so they were really yeah. limiting the scale of availability i only got into beeper because i know ben at nine to five and ben had beeper and if you're a beeper user you get invite codes and so ben was able to give me one a few months ago but that's the thing right they like blue skied it they blue skied it for a yes. very long time i would i would say blue sky is the is the correct comparison here where you kind of needed to know and mm. like like beeper you know eric at beeper was very upfront about like it's it's never been we're hiding what we're doing like they've been up front and been like 
yeah, it's a server farm of Mac minis. Like when I talked to him about Bieber mini, he was like, it's expensive. Like it's only getting more expensive. It is not a permanent solution. Like, Mm-hmm. price wise especially because beeper doesn't cost anything right now um we'll talk about beeper mini and its pricing in a second but all of that is to say beeper mini is a totally new app it syncs with beeper what is now called beeper cloud but you don't have to do it you can go to my hands-on with it you can see the system architecture diagram that they've drawn up that explains it better than i think i could but effectively like beeper mini takes about 30 seconds to sign up for it i don't want to say tricks because that's the wrong i don't think that's the right verbiage but it essentially pings apple as if your phone is an iphone to enroll in imessage no mac mini required it is just being like hey it sends in the background an sms message as i believe an iphone does to say hey i'm an iphone signing up for imessage and apple goes cool here you go and then it sends encrypted messages via iMessage through the same like APN that Apple uses, like it hooks onto that. And they've built a a beeper push notification service because you can't, you'd have to keep beeper mini active in the background at all times to get incoming notifications because that system is built into iOS itself. Beeper's push notification service like stands as a way to tell your phone like, hey, you've got a new message. And then that message is encrypted on your phone. So it's all handled locally essentially there's no you know it uh, you're you're sending messages effectively how an iphone sends messages which is new like this has not been an app before there's there's never been an app like this on the play store i would say you don't even and this was i don't want to say a last minute edition but i'm gonna it kind of was because they they pushed back their announcement to add it i don't think i'm speaking out of turn to say that um, you don't even have to log in with your Apple ID to use this app. Like it is just your phone number. It's an optional thing in the settings to log into your Apple ID. But like if you just want to enroll your phone number in iMessage, you don't even need to give Beeper your Apple ID, which is crazy. I will say that having my iPhone and Beeper Mini open on an Android phone side by side and seeing both of them update in real time through the cloud was a holy shit moment for me. Well, so that's that's the thing. If you, I mean, we can talk about my iPhone review if we want, but I have my iPhone and my Pixel 8 Pro next to each other. They both have SIMs in them. The SIM in the iPhone is enrolled in iMessage, obviously. The SIM in the Pixel 8 is enrolled in Beeper, is enrolled in iMessage through Beeper Mini. And if you log in with your Apple ID, you will see both phone numbers in there. You will see it will if you've used iOS and you've opened iMessage settings before, you'll see the like send and receive options, which will have your email addresses and your phone number, and you can select what you can and can't send messages from. And that setting exists in Beeper Mini. So, like you said, you'll see messages come in both devices at the same time, even though they're on different SIMs. You can send from both numbers. It's kind of crazy. Not only that, it supports group messages. It's just, yep. it supports tapbacks. And, and everything and a few other, basically so I, all other iMessage features except for the proprietary ones that rely on like stickers and app store integration. So even like um the handful that aren't here is live location sharing and FaceTime audio and video calls. Those are planned for the future. <laughs> I think iMessage effects are fun. I know they're gimmicky, but I think they're fun. And so I asked Eric if they were coming. Uh, they have to build the animations themselves, but like I was told, yes, that's on the roadmap to add 
when someone sends you a laser animation, your phone, your Pixel or your Galaxy S20, whatever, will show you the laser animation that they sent you, which I think is rad. The only thing on the list right now that seems to be off, that they're just never going to be able to do are iMessage games, which I think is fine because I've tried iMessage games and they're terrible. They're I honestly didn't just, even know they were a thing. Yeah, it's it's mostly through this app add-on, this, this iMessage add-on called Game Pigeon, which is... Um, I don't know, man. If you want to play Battleship with your friends through iMessage, that's on you. But uh, it's like playing Flash games in iMessage. It, it's I can see the appeal, but like you can just download a, an app that works across the platforms or whatever and figure it out from there. Or get a you know, there's plenty of ways to play. Like Connect Four is the line that I have in my my article on mobile. Like you can figure it out. Do you remember when everybody was playing Farmville on Facebook? <laughs> yeah, I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it was it was a big high school. I I I mean, it's just such a wild time. There's no games on Facebook anymore, right? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there are, but it's buried somewhere. Yeah, like all features on Facebook end up like buried. If they 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 never get retired, they just they just disappear down 17 menus, and you never see them again. Yeah. Can you still poke? I know that was buried for a long time, but you can still do it. <laughs> can you still poke? Oh my god! I don't even want to answer that. <laughs> all right. I want to write a piece today about, like, after we're done recording this, about how big is the appetite for iMessage on Android, particularly after RCS has been announced and, and it's going to deliver a lot of the stuff that I think people want out of cross-platform messaging. But if you have friends who are using iMessage as their primary source of texting you and, and therefore you're mostly getting their messages through SMS... I really think this is worth a look. They've been very upfront and open about like, please come investigate our security. We have full confidence in it, which is not what we saw from Sunbird and Nothing Chats a couple weeks ago. I'm not saying fully take their word for it, but the app's been out for a few days. We haven't heard anything. It, they, they have done basically everything they can to invite people to investigate it. They even built a proof of concept Python script that you can just run if you want to see how it works on your computer. I it, it's it's a very cool app that I'm excited to see continue to be developed. I am so curious if Apple finds a way to take action. So so Beeper has been pretty confident in their ability to avoid being shut down essentially because a couple things. First of all, when I asked Eric, <laughs> that was my first question was like, why is Apple not going to shut this down the day after you launch it? His answer was that he thinks Beeper Mini is good for Apple because it boosts security through messaging. It's end-to-end -end encrypted. They care about security. Therefore, they should be happy Beeper Mini exists, which I think is a very funny answer. But this is the company, as I point out in my hands-on, that spent all of 2009 fighting with Palm over the pre's ability to sync with iTunes. I don't know if you remember that, Daniel. They would push. It was like every two weeks, one of the companies would push an update like Palm would push an update to allow the pre to sync with iTunes. Two weeks later, Apple would push an update to iTunes that breaks the pre's ability to sync with iTunes. And that went on for months. That was like on my mind while I was testing this is like Apple could probably figure out a way to break Beeper Mini and not break older computers running iMessage. He seems confident. I, I would say watch the Snazzy Labs video too, which goes into more detail on this. Um, Beeper also pointed to a portion of the DMCA that protects reverse engineering. Still, like, as I said, Beeper Mini has a fee associated with it. It's $2 a month, which is not super expensive. It's 24 a year to get, you know, a good messaging platform on your phone. I don't think that's 
super expensive, but I am curious now that Beeper is like fully making money from this if Apple wants to even just take them to court basically and make it a even if Beeper wins dragging out a law battle uh, could kill the company just money wise like Apple has infinite resources and Beeper does not. So I don't know what the future holds for Beeper Mini, but I'm happy it exists today. I just am curious to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds about this. I've spoken to a couple people who, like developers who have looked into this and have looked at the, into the proof of concept. And the TLDR is that Apple killing the backend infrastructure that powers Beeper Mini will also kill a lot of legacy iMessage exactly. integrations with like That's, people using yeah. older versions of iMessage or just people who like use iMessage on older versions of Macs and stuff. Yes. It's like, Macs I don't think one. that it's going to be easy for Apple to do this without interfering with the existing user base. That said, there's a reason they're not offering an annual subscription fee <laughs> because it could just go down at any time. It's also relatively inexpensive. But yeah, $2 Apple a month is, is not a, like, they're a famously litigious company. If anything else, like, they'd probably just want to cut, which that won't happen, obviously. But if you recall the discovery emails around the DOJ case against Google and the emails that came out from Apple keeping iMessage off of Android from back in 2013, not just because it was a privacy concern, but because they knew that if cheaper phones ran iMessage, the moat would be smaller and people would be more likely to like buy their kids cheap Android phones because iMessage is the thing that holds families together. But I do think like just low key, to me, this makes me happy because like a 14 year old whose parents thrust an Android phone in their hands and said, you don't have a choice, I'm just giving you this, will now at least be able to be in the group DMs you know, it's like easier to ask their parents to pay for a $2 subscription fee than buy them a freaking iPhone. And as long as that's the case, and this will just be a seamless integration, you just have Beeper. And the next version of this is supposed to integrate SMS. So it'll You're adding be everything. So eventually Beeper Mini will replace Beeper Cloud, I believe is the, is the long-term plan. And that includes every other plugin they have with Telegram, with Signal, with RCS, SMS you name it, right? Like that's kind of Beeper's other strength in the cloud app is that it can integrate all of your chat apps and that's where they're going with Beeper Mini as well. So it's like Trillium, but yeah. for mobile. Yeah, I love that. Eric is very into, I, I had two different briefings with Eric uh, and, and we we texted back and forth once I, once I was on Beeper as well. Like we were talking about like AIM clients. Like he he's very into bringing back like third-party chat clients that you know have effectively died over the last decade i love that trillion still exists the trillion was that. released in 2000 i did not know trillion still that existed. is bananas if you go to trillion.im right now you can still download it it's like it's a it's available it's available it's free for individuals and they have an enterprise service where it's eight dollars a month i love this i love that like trillion is still an app that exists that you can download today made by Cerulean Studio. Oh my God, this is wild to me. Is Cerulean still independent? That is crazy. This makes me so happy <laughs> that they're still independent. 23 years old, this app is. I just, I love this. I'm so, I'm so happy right now. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope this 
just like for for the high school kids that have an Android phone, I really think this is going to be life changing for them. Anybody who's like shitting on this as a as a solution to the iMessage on Android problem, or if they think that like Apple should just like suck it up and release an iMessage client for Android, like these are the people that I'm thinking about here. It's not me well, and you who yeah. have a bunch of different phones and like it's annoying that we have green bubbles and sometimes blue bubbles. It's like this will actually improve friend groups and make families more cohesive. And to me, like that is that is a big deal. So plus the fact that Apple is making RCS part of its spec next year, like yeah. this is all good. I don't want to call people out of touch, but I do think that if you were listening to this podcast, you were probably big into tech. And I would say that you should consider people like high school students, like college students, even just people who are maybe not as dialed into technology as you and I, dear listener, you know, might be. Yeah, we can maybe convince people in our lives to get on Telegram or whatever chat app you want, or we can tell them, I don't care if you don't like my green bubble, like deal with it or whatever. But like these things do matter, especially at younger ages to younger millennials and Gen Z in general. I think like the reason we, and, and I, I said this in my iPhone review this week, too. I, I, I brought up green bubbles and blue bubbles. And I think I wrote this in a comment on, on ta- Peace Taylor wrote this week. But I, I, I think people are getting really frustrated. Our readers are getting really frustrated with the focus on the green bubble and blue bubble divide. That is just like a shorthand way to be like the difference between enriched messaging and SMS. Like that's really what we're talking about. Like it, it doesn't have anything to do with the color of the bubble for the most part. I'm not saying there aren't people who actually that's all they care about. but. It is shorthand to be like, people want typing indicators and red receipts and high-res images especially, and I think any way to bring that to more people who are using different devices is, is a win. Look, I'm, I'm not going to make a bigger deal about this than it is, because really, like, this is a moat within a moat, right? Like, this is a small group of people yeah. that it affects, but... And, and like, yes, people get upset when we bring this up, but even more than just like the difference between plain SMS and how everybody's like, I use, I use WhatsApp, I use, I use Trello, I'm Trello, I, I, I use um, Telegram, I use Signal, like who cares? Or other people are like, what's wrong with SMS? It's fine. Or I, I have some people on RCS, some people on WhatsApp, like it may be fragmented, but like I make it work. Good for you. Honestly, I'm, I'm happy for you. But what's really important here is not that iMessage is only popular in the US, so therefore this is a non-argument. There is a cultural importance that Apple's name attaches to the things that it makes. And it's not, we're not, we don't bring up Apple products on this podcast because we're diehard Apple users. It is because over the last few years, as your brilliant essay pointed out a few weeks ago, Apple has become the company for young people. And as an Android website, it would be insane and stupid and bad business if we did not acknowledge this. The fact that the Android market share in the biggest, most lucrative market in the world is getting smaller and smaller every year is bad for our business. It is bad for Google's business. It's bad for Samsung's business. And understanding why that's happening and what these companies can do to improve the situation, that is our job. That is why we do this thing and why it's so important to acknowledge that 
every time Samsung comes out with a new foldable and it's $1,800, that's great for people who can afford it. But the most important phone, the most important foldable released this year was the 699 Razer because it made foldables affordable for the first time. It may not have been the best foldable, but it's by far the most accessible. We bring this up over and over again because while a lot of our listeners, I think like Android users in general, people that started back in the early days of Android on the XDA forums and like doing their thing and they've come up through this all and they tell us like their upgrade arc from the early droids to the early nexuses to like one Samsung phone that they hated and then they went back to a Pixel. I mean, this right? is literally like, me. <laughs> <laughs> and me, but like, I think that's that's awesome and we love you and you're our core audience to the death. But those, the, you are fewer and fewer of the people that matter, unfortunately, I'm just being honest, in the tech space. Because in general, as mobile tech has become commoditized and it's become more widely available, the phones people are using are less important than the layers of software on those phones. That's just the fact. Like Android on a Pixel is basically the same as Android on a Samsung, and it's basically the same as iOS. Like that's just the facts. And the small differences are now so big because the extremes are the only things left to talk about. So that's all I'm saying when I when I bring this up. And I mean, I, I will say though, I upgraded my S23 Ultra to Android 14 this week, and the new font is hot garbage. It's so so if you have a new Sam if you have a Samsung phone with the Android 14 update, uh, I would love to hear your opinion on this font because it's terrible. Can I tell you what happened? I know exactly what happened. I have spent the last 10 years or so. I have this monkey paw in my possession, Daniel, and I've been wishing on it to 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 improve <laughs> the Samsung emoji. And I've been like, oh, please, yeah. please make them better. And they and you know what? It did. But I watched the single thing. It curled. And I went, oh, no. I don't know. And it seems bad. And then I updated my S23 and I said, oh, this font is atrocious, but the emojis are better. So the solution is to just communicate to people through emojis, I think. I think that's the solution to everything. We won't even need iMessage anymore. <laughs> as long as SMS is, you know, supports emoji, then we're, we're we're fine. Yeah. Although we will say that the salute emoji on the on the uh, Android 14 on Samsung is still bad. Yeah, it is. So. I added the iPhone <laughs> salute emoji to our Slack. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. If you type in Apple salute, I think it'll uh, it'll come up. Feel free to use that. Daniel, the only salute it. emoji that actually that looks like a salute. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're going to end it there. Uh, we, I mean, we talked a little bit about your iPhone 15 Pro Max review, but like you finally reviewed this thing. It's a beast. Give us your TLDR on it and then we'll let people go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I think you said a really, what you were saying about covering Apple in an in a Android-centric way applies to this review. Um, I think it's stupid to ignore. I mean, my headline was literally the phone everyone else is choosing. It's stupid to ignore the iPhone at this point in the smartphone ecosystem. It is what people are defaulting to. To most people, a smartphone is the iPhone, like specifically in the US, which is the market we're writing for. It's good. Like I, I, I get why people like iPhones. They're good. I feel like this design is, is getting a little stale even with titanium. I appreciate how much lighter it is than previous generation iPhones, but 
I think that camera bump is like truly terrible. It gathers so much dust and pocket lint and it's awful. I'd like to see something maybe a little flashier, not even flashier, just something a little more. I don't, I don't even know what I'm looking for. Just maybe just copy Samsung's camera bump and, and I'll call it even, um, you know, the battery life is great. There are things about iOS that I like. There are things about iOS that I think are terrible. The notifications are still bad. I don't think anyone's surprised about that. They've kind of fixed widgets. That's okay. I'm not even, you know, I, I put a bunch of widgets on my home screen to test them out. They were fine. They're, they're pretty much what, uh, you know, Android widgets are. CarPlay is good, but again, there are benefits and, and drawbacks to, to iOS. I think everyone already knows that. I'm impressed that it can play Resident Evil Village. I have a short video in my review of, of how that, you know, looks basically, except I didn't, I didn't know how much blood and gore I should put in a video on the review. So it's a pretty short video of me just walking through the woods. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, the action button. We've talked about this, Daniel, but I've come around to your take that the action button is bad. It is not good. It's bad. I, I really thought that they would fix it like a month or two after launch and like make it so that you can at least assign different shortcuts to it instead of it just being a long press. But um, ask me how many times I've used this fucking waste of a button. <laughs> like six times. I haven't opened my Google app. Like I use the Google app more than any other app on this phone. And yet I still never use this unless I accidentally press it. I accidentally press it all the time because it's too fucking close to the yes. volume up button. And like I figure it out relatively quickly because it does have a different click to it. Like, it, like if you're, you, if you know what the volume up feels like, you figure out pretty quickly of like, I'm hitting the wrong button. Uh, also like your volume doesn't go up, but it's still annoying every single time. It's placement is terrible too, because like <laughs> I'm usually holding my phone in my right hand and I don't have a finger that can easily hit it. I need to basically like reach with my left hand and hit it with my thumb. And at that point I might as well just turn the screen on. I have it set to my camera. The lock screen has a camera shortcut. It actually, as much as you'd think would be faster to press and hold the button, it's not because I need to move my other hand to activate it usually, or I need to like shimmy my right hand up so that my finger can press it. Yeah, it's it's bad. I think they really fucked it up. They probably should have put it lower on the device in a completely different location. They should have made it so that it can do more than one thing at once. That's my action button review. I still think every Android phone maker should copy the concept of an action button. They should just make it good. Yeah, I, I I still like it. It feels. I mean, it's same with the Dynamic Island. Like, I still feel like it's a waste. My biggest gripe with the Dynamic Island, like, I listen to a ton of audiobooks. so I, I listen to yeah. or even and you constantly just, have the now playing interface. No, but it disappears. You you pause it. So I pause the book because I I often have to do this where like I'm doing something else. I pause the book and it disappears from the Dynamic Island and I can't get it back. Yeah. Yeah, I no, like, I've just, had that just, too. Where sometimes, like, keep it there. I, I, um, I will say, uh, my 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 fantasy football app added Dynamic Island support, and now I can watch my team lose in real time. So it's actually like a ten out of ten feature now for me on Sunday. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> I mean, I I think it works, right? Like with with the um, what's it called, the live elements or whatever. Like when you order an Uber and you yep. get the Dynamic Island showing you how close your your car is, like that's brilliant it works great but it's there's so few experiences like that on the dynamic island They're that coming, actually make it they, work they are slowly coming because of the iphone because the iphone 15 has it like i genuinely mm -hmm. think that that spurred it um because my i use yahoo fantasy and that app did not have it until after the iphone 15 launched and so i'm sure 
that was part of it. But um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping they keep working on that. My biggest issue with the dynamic island is that it's lower than where the notch used to be, and it's lower than the selfie cam on like most Android phones. And because of that, if you watch a wider video, like there are lots of videos that play fine on my Pixel or my S23 Ultra, even with the cutout, like it's either barely there or it's much easier to ignore. The dynamic island is way more distracting than the notch ever was because it's lower. Like that might be just a me complaint, but like I kind of wish they had found a way to put it higher up on the screen. It's just like in a really obnoxious place. I mean, it's a choice. It's a choice with a capital a C, and that's yeah. that's that's it's it. It's a bad right? choice. <laughs> exactly, but, but it's, it's a, a choice. It is a choice. The camera I should mention is uh, good. I find it kind of boring in a way I can't really describe. Like. All of the shots it takes are pretty usable, but when I look at them, I don't feel anything. And I, I don't know what that means about me as a photographer. Um, <laughs> video's really good, as you'd expect, but I, I, it's just missing some kind of pop, I think, that I see from the stuff I get from like a Pixel phone. Mm. The, the, the telephoto is fine. I did not think it was as good in low light as the Pixel 8 Pro's 5X periscope lens is. I really like the ability to do the, they, they do the 24, 28, and 35 millimeter stuff, but it's 1x, 1.2x, and 1.5x crop. And I like that you can set those as a default. Like if you want it to default to 1.2x instead of one, you can just change that in settings. I appreciate that because sometimes the equivalent of 24 millimeter can feel a little far away. But um, yeah, otherwise, like it's a good camera that I just, I have a hard time feeling enthusiastic about. I would love them to just have the default at 35 mil. Yeah. Like I, I've always thought that the default focal length for smartphone cameras at 24 to 26 millimeters is too wide. I agree. And like, obviously they want to make it, they'd rather allow you to zoom in and lose some visual acuity than the opposite or have to like go to the ultra wide, which is always a worse sensor and lens. But I agree, like as good as this sensor is, and I think with a larger sensor, you get more leeway to crop in without losing as much detail. But I just think like, I wouldn't be opposed to even making a 28 millimeters by default, right? Just give us a little bit of additional focal length. And, and, and I, I think that would allow, that would give us, especially when taking photos of people, it would make everything much more, compressed and would add a, a lot more personality to photos because like when you're taking a photo of a person with the main sensor and this applies to basically any phone you really have to get quite close and it's uncomfortable it framing is a little tricky you have to like use portrait mode sometimes to even get the framing right it just i prefer taking photos of people with the telephoto but then you have to be really far back when it's 5x on default so like there's no good solution here, and, and it's why I just think we've we've gotten ourselves into a mess with this like triple camera solution that is not a solution to anything really, or just go Sony's route and like give us multiple focal lengths in the main camera. Didn't they no. do that, or was that Aperture? Uh, no, which Sony company does. gave like Sony does physical optical zoom in the main sensor? I don't know if Sony's done that. That was might, it not Sony? It, it maybe, might have been like Xiaomi did. or something. Yeah, that I think it was I think it was a Chinese brand that never came over here because that sounds like a feature I would have fun using. And yeah. Anyway, we've we've digressed and it's now we've now run way over. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I re- really quick. I know we I know we said the last story. I just want to. The only reason I want to bring this up this this was news from today that I wrote. YouTube Music is replacing Google Podcasts in April of 2024. Great. That's a little sooner than I think we thought it was. We already talked about this. I, it's fine. The reason I want to bring it up is because this is how I found out that if you were listening to a podcast and YouTube Music, it does not currently have the ability to mark an episode as played. That is coming in the coming months, according to Google. I do not understand this company. How do you launch? How, do you, how are you closing your dedicated Google Podcasts, your, your dedicated podcast app? when when i mean we're just watching what happened with google play music over again where it's like missing basic functionality but this closure is coming anyway because they want to move it all into one app i i genuinely it it is that is like a base like it's it's i just don't i don't know am i crazy is should that not be there already why is it taking months to add that's all because google <laughs> i guess but like I I didn't even I just would have assumed you could mark an episode as played that seems like podcast catcher 101 to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I needed to bring that up because it was it was on it was on my mind. It, it's, it's no it's, argument for me. Drove me crazy I never for the use last YouTube three music. hours. I I I looked at my end of the year stats on Pocket Cast for like how many podcasts I listened to. Yeah. This year and it's it's kind of crazy. My top show was Vergecast, which obviously uh, I listened to two days and nine hours of the Vergecast this year. Uh, if you if you're not sure about where the influences of this podcast come from, I think it's fairly obvious right now. But my podcast listening was down significantly in 2023, yeah, because I spent most of the year listening to audiobooks. So as we get closer to the end of the year, I want to do. By the way, Ara is not here this week. She has a well deserved week off. But we're going to come back at the end of the year with our favorite media at, at some point, maybe next week or the week after, probably the week after. And yeah, like this was the year of audiobooks for me. Like I listened to so much audio, so many audiobooks this year with like one earbud in my ear. And I would love to hear about people's content consumption experiences on their phones. Like what do people consume on their phones? Do you watch movies or TV shows on your phone? Do you read books on your phone, like through the Kindle app or, or Libby? Do you listen to audiobooks? How do you listen to audiobooks? Do you play PlayStation 5 Remote Play or Xbox Game Pass? Like, I would love to hear about what non-phone things people do on their phones, because increasingly I'm reading books and listening to books on my phone. I've, I started playing like PS5 through my phone recently with uh, a backbone, and I'm really enjoying that. So there's just a lot, like I, I just, I'm starting to do more things with my phone than I used to instead of just like scrolling through Instagram. So that's my homework for anybody listening. If you're still listening to this podcast at andrewpolice.com, send us your phone consumption experiences. We'd love to hear from you. I will, uh, and please, uh, oh, go sorry, ahead, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to share mine because I have my podcast, my pocket cast stats in front of me. And I just want everyone to know that I listened to a disgusting 30 days and eight hours of podcast this year. What? I listened to 30 days worth of podcasts. You listened to 30 days of podcasts? Yeah. That's six times, seven times what I've, <laughs> seven and a half times what I listened to. Yeah, man. Um, I, Holy I shit. pretty much have a podcast. So, so I pretty much have a podcast going if I'm doing anything around the house, mowing the lawn in the summer, uh, if I'm traveling, 
uh, which I did a lot of this year. Uh, I fall asleep to them, which certainly swayed that a little bit, although I use sleep timers, so not not that much. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if you correct for that, it's probably still like tw- at least 29 days. So, uh, oh my God. Uh, yeah. Um, That's why I use Pocket Cast. I don't, I don't use YouTube. That's music. 720 hours Don't of tell me podcast. that. Don't tell me that. That's my top a, show was that's uh, bananas, dude. My top show was Blank Check with Griffin and David, which is the show I also tend to fall asleep to, but uh, old episodes of. But I listened to over five five days of uh, of that show this year. Congratulations! Yes, yeah, yeah, something like that. They should I was pay you make a dividend. A, I was gonna make a joke when you were describing what people do on their their phones uh, about this about watching a four hour video essay on youtube play plagiarism which i don't even know if you get that joke but there was a very popular oh i saw i, okay, I saw I, I started watching it i, I got like it's 15 very good minutes listen in. i i like h bomber guides i would i would recommend people go watch it it's it's excellent but uh i don't think i can make that joke now uh because i listened <laughs> to 30 days of podcast last year. oh man you have a disease all right we're gonna go because this has been a long pod but thank you for listening do your homework send us your email Will, I hope you have a great weekend. Ara, I hope you enjoy Disney. We'll see you next week. And uh, yeah, if you're listening to this, thank you. Uh, we've loved having you with us this year. And uh, we'll we'll round up the year in, in a pretty pretty chill way. Uh, that's, that's the word of the day, chill. Chill. Uh, exactly. Until then, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye.